You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church, J-Town. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come, centered on Jesus Christ. I encourage you to remain standing, or if you're sitting, go ahead and stand with me if you're able. Uh, we're in Philippians chapter 4, if you want to grab a phone or your Bible, or in the last chapter of Philippians, we're closing out our, our series as we've worked through the book of Philippians this summer. So we're going to be reading verses 10, yeah, all the way down to the end of the chapter here. So, so hear the word of the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I And I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings and all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. Hey, before we pray, I just want to uh, ask us to be praying for uh, church community in Oldham, Post Community Church. Uh, Talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, Jeff Fusen, who's the lead pastor there, uh, passed away on uh, Saturday morning at 5.30. Uh, so he was a victim of the coronavirus, and that's his wife, Julie, there. They have three children. Uh, two of them are out of the house. The youngest is getting ready to be a senior in high school. And so, um, yeah, this is a, a church that is hurting. This is a, a community. Jeff's been a part of Oldham County for 20-plus years. When I started as a youth minister at a church there at LaGrange Baptist, uh, he was one of the first guys I connected with back in 1995. And so... Um, So yeah, 58 years old, very young. And so I just ask that you would be praying for his wife, Julie, and their family and uh, their church as they're going through a very difficult season and and suffering, suffering greatly. So I want to give us a moment just to pray quietly to yourself for them. and, And then I'll come in after that. And so, Father, it's moments like these where uh, words are 
Um, hard to come by. Yeah, sometimes you just don't know how to pray and what to pray. So we, as a, a church community, hurt uh, with the Fusen family, with the loss of, their, of Julie's husband, with the loss of a dad. And we, we hurt um, with the entire Fosk community church, Lord, with the loss of their pastor. And God, we ask this, not in some kind of weird, cliche way, but we do ask and pray that you would give them a peace that surpasses all understanding and that, God, you would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. So, yeah, I recognize that's kind of heavy. It's been heavy with me uh, over the last day and a half. And so sometimes it's hard to kind of like, how do you transition into something like this? But I'm going to do my best to kind of uh, transition into a time as we kind of land the plane in chapter four. I want to give you a heads up. You know, I didn't do this in the last service, but I felt like I need to do it in this service. I, I am going to talk about giving. So I just want to, so I know I realize some of you, this is your first time you've, in person. You've been together since March going, oh, but I, but I am. And the reason why I'm talking about it is because it's in the passage. It's like you'd have to really do some uh, hermeneutical gymnastics to kind of avoid the issue of giving because it's, it's, it's here. And so uh, my prayer is that God would use this in a very encouraging, challenging and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you as we think about generosity and giving here. Um, the best way to kind of start this off, I don't know if you've ever been a recipient of a, an extremely generous gift, and not just a generous gift, but also that it came in a very timely manner. Like you were in just whatever your situation was in great need, and then all of a sudden you get something in the mail, you get a phone call. Maybe it isn't even financial. Sometimes you can get like a, a note in the mail and it's like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I need. And so most of us would probably raise our hand and you at least have one moment where that's happening. And so when that happens to you, um, sometimes it's hard to figure out like how do you show your appreciation for this generous gift that was given in a very timely manner? You know, how do you really do that? Um, and at minimal, this is not a trick question, at minimal, and I'm not saying you do less than this, but at minimal, you're going to send a thank you, right? I mean, you're going to do some kind of way, like writing a special thank you, making a phone call. I mean, it, you don't feel like it does it justice because it was such a generous gift, came in a timely manner, but at least uh, you're going to send some kind of thank you. Well, that's what's going on here at the end of, of chapter four. And in fact, uh, if you would just take a step back and look at the whole Philippians, this is what prompted Paul to write this book. Epaphroditus, this friend in the gospel and ministry, you know, did the 800 mile trek from Philippi to Rome in order to give this gift that the church of Philippi wanted to give him. And so you gotta remember, you know, prison wasn't like what we have today. Not that any of us would have experience of that. Well, maybe you do, and it's fine if you do. Uh, but, you know, the prisoners, not like meals are provided for you, that kind of stuff. And this day in antiquity, like, it was on you. Like, if you're in prison, either your family, close loved ones, friends, whatever, they provided you meals, whatever you needed, clothes, whatever. They, they, you were dependent on people outside of you to help you. And, and what we can see from what we can gather is that, that Paul was in desperate need in prison. I don't, I don't, we don't know all that was going on there. We don't know if he was lacking of food or what it was, but he was in, in desperate need. And so this gift 
that came through Epaphroditus from the church in Philippi was like timely and overwhelmingly um, just heart flooded with joy and love and how they provided for him. And that's what caused him to kind of pin this letter. And he's coming back to this and ending and landing the plane with once again thanking them for this generous gift. Now, the weird thing about this is if you were kind of listening as we're reading through it, uh, it's a weird thank you, isn't it? It's, it's like, um, this is kind of how I see it. It's like, hey, thank you for the gift, but I really didn't need it. <laughs> but, but once again, thank you for sending me this gift. But, you know, it really isn't for me. It's actually for you. you know, see, it's almost like, thank you, but not really. Thank you, but not really. It's, it's like, if you're reading it from a Western mindset, it kind of feels a little offensive. Like, are you appreciative of the gift or are you not? Uh, one commentator uh, humorously put it like this and how you may experience the reading of these last several verses here. He said this, I think it's on the screen. He said, I'm glad that long last, after waiting all this time, you finally decided to think about me. <laughs> of course, I realized you were meaning to do it. You just couldn't get around to it. I hope you understand, however, that I didn't, do not really need the money. My circumstances don't really bother me. I've learned how to be, handle all things and all kinds of situations. Nevertheless, it's a good thing you decided to send the money. I mean, for your sake, of course, not for mine. You are really the one who profits by sending me an offering. So he was saying that, that, like, if you go back and read this, especially if you go and read in the NIV translation or even the ESV, the CSV is a great translation. They do a great job of kind of giving the spirit of what Paul's saying here. You can feel this. Thank you for the gift, but not really. Thank you for the gift, but not really. <laughs> That's kind of, I was feeling this. Like, you're going like, what in the world? What is, what is Paul trying to do? Well, some of this has to do with a, you know, we have a Western mindset and first century Christians that are totally different. It's different cultures. That's part of it. So they're reading this. They're not reading it in an offensive way like we would. The other thing here, and you'll feel this as we work back through the passage, is that Paul is trying to kind of manage attention here. And that tension is this, is that he does have need. And I'm dependent on a church to meet that need. But then at the same time, I'm not really dependent on that church to meet that need. I'm ultimately dependent upon God to meet all my needs. It's just trying to manage this sort of tension that I'm needy, but then I'm not. I need you to help me out, but actually, you know, I'm really fully dependent upon the Lord. And that's what Paul's trying to do with this thank you, this appreciation to kind of manage this tension here. And so what I want to do in, in light of this is that in the midst of this thank you, I think there are, you know, I've kind of labeled these two little gems, these two words that are uh, really helpful for us to kind of um, think about our own Christian life, help us and even in moving forward in our Christian life that I want to just spend some time with in the midst of this appreciation and thank you that maybe doesn't feel like an appreciation or thank you from our mindset. And the two words follow uh, this repeated phrase. It's found in verse 11 and then in verse 17. So verse 11 can literally say this, not that I am in need. So the translation is, I don't say this out of need. Literally, it says, not that I am in need. Verse 17 repeats the very same phrase, phrase within the original language. It says literally, not that I am seeking the gift. It's translated here in the CSB, not that I seek the gift. And after each of those phrases, there's a little word that I think Paul's trying to like emphasize and help us see. The first one is contentment, which I would, Say, all of us want. I want it. 
And the second one is profit. So let me unpack these real quick here. May the Lord bless and and help us as we learn from this last little uh, part of this uh, passage here. So starting in verse 10, contentment, first word. Paul says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. Verse 11, I don't say this out of need, which is weird, but keep going. For I've learned to what? To be, there's our word, content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Verse 12, I know how to make do with little. I know how to, how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being, here's our word, content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. So this word content is not like a new word for them. They would have been very familiar with this word. And in fact, the philosophers in this day, they would say, hey, this is the virtue that you seek after. This is the ultimate virtue that you want to have in you as a human being. You want to be one who is content and do all that you can in order to get there. Here's a couple of quotes from some philosophers in this day that talk about this word content. One of them says this, he is richest who is content with the least for content is the wealth of nature. Another philosopher says it like this, a happy, the happy man is content with his present lot. No matter what it is, it is reconciled to his circumstances. So this is not a new word on them. So when, when they are hearing this, they've got all these philosophers where they've heard these different definitions. They understand contentment is a, a virtue that you seek after. But what Paul is wanting to do here is take this familiar word and help reframe and redefine it for them. So we see this. First of all, we learn from this that contentment is something we learn. Like we don't come out of the womb contented people. Amen, right? I mean, okay, maybe a few head nods. All right, yes. You're not. Now, this is something you have to learn. You come out of the womb discontent. Especially in our day and age when you've got like, what do they say, the average 5,000 different ads that you are exposed to in a given day. Can you think of that? 5,000 ads that have at their aim to make you what? discontent with what you currently have, right? That's their goal. That's how they make money, right? And so, so contentment is something, as Paul said here, it's, it's learned. It's, it's over time. I don't naturally, you know, you know, through osmosis or whatever, become a, you know, it's, it's something that has to be learned. The second thing we see here in this passage is that contentment is not about your circumstances. I mean, I think the most surprising thing or a couple of surprising things here, one is that Paul says he's a contented person, that he's, I am content. And if, there, if, we, if we know anything about a situation, all of us would say, man, there's, there's one thing I would say Paul probably isn't, is he's not content. I mean, he's in a prison tied to a Roman guard 24-7. How horrible of a circumstance and situation that is. But he says, I am content. And then he goes and gives us these kind of um, extremes. So contentment is not based on our circumstances, whether I have a little or a lot, whether I have, I'm well-fed or I'm hungry, where I'm in abundance or I am in need, I have learned to be content no matter my circumstances. And the thing that's even surprising there is when he's, he says that I've learned to be content in plenty. I've learned to be content in abundance. And most of us would say, duh, <laughs> right? Because don't we think the solution to like my discontent is if I get more that once I get more or I have this, then finally I will be content. And if we just pay attention to our behavior, we realize that that's not the case at all. It doesn't matter how much I have. There's always something more. There's always something that I can 
have that I don't necessarily currently have. And so what Paul is saying, look, no matter my circumstances, no matter the extremes, whether I've got plenty and abundance or where I don't have much, I'm content. And so most of the moral philosophers in this day would agree with both of that. And they would have heard messages from philosophers saying, yes, for sure, contentment is something you've learned. Contentment is not about your circumstances. Man, it's a virtue you want to pursue after. But how you get there is where it's different for Paul than the philosophers of his day. And how you get there is what we see in verse 12. Look what he says. I have learned, a little word secret, I have learned the secret of being content. Well, Paul, what is the secret of being content? Well, for philosophers in this day, the secret of being content is you do away with all your desires. You don't have any desires. You don't have any wants. You just become like a, a, I don't know, a numb person, I guess. But you do away with all your desires and wants, and then you find contentment in and of yourself. You find it in your own resources. You, it's through self-sufficiency that you eventually will, will arrive at this virtue to where you can be content no matter your circumstances. So do away with desires, do away with passion, do away with want, and find in yourself the resources to be content. And Paul comes in and says, no, 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 that's not gonna work and it never has worked. Here's the secret, verse 13. I am able to all, do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The secret of contentment has a name, and his name is Jesus. You don't find it in self-sufficiency. As Paul would say here, you find it in Christ-sufficiency. You don't find it through um, doing away with your desires and passions and wants. No, that's not a way to live. God's giving you desires, passions, and wants that are great and good, but we're going to find ways to find that funneled in, in relationship to Jesus Christ. That's where these desires and wants are going to find their, their, their full fruition or their full satisfaction. I know sometimes we can take verse 13 and, and use it like a, you know, I don't know, a coffee mug logo or we stitch it on a pillow. I don't know if anybody stitches on a pillows anymore, but you know what I'm saying? Like we see people, you know, and they score a touchdown, Philippians 4.13 or you know, they land a business deal. I can do all things through Christ. What, what, you know, like, I'm not saying that's bad, all right? I'm not saying you can't use that passage. But the context here is this. The context is that no matter my circumstances, that, that Christ will empower me to get through it. That no matter what's going on in my, my current world, in my crisis, whatever that may be, that Christ will give me the power to have contentment, that I can genuinely be satisfied. Now here, like, here's, here's sometimes the danger of this, because sometimes we can sit and really hear this, but then once again, not really hear it, is that it almost becomes like a churchy language for us. And we think, okay, that sounds great. That sounds wonderful. Kind of similar to what we had last week. But then it's my real life and this is not possible. And I just want to, I want to put before you that Paul is telling us as followers of Jesus Christ that Jesus is truly enough and that the contentment that all of us, like including me, all of us desire and want can be met in Christ in relationship with him. This is not 
some like, you know, Hallmark card that Paul is writing here, right? Paul is going, I have lived this. I have experienced this. I, I, I know this through my own life that this is possible, that the contentment that you long for is not found inside of you. It's found outside of you. And the secret of contentment has a name, and that name is Jesus. So just, you know, can't do this where you guys respond verbally. If I was in a small group, I would do this, right? Hey, talk. Let's, let's have a conversation. Like if you, if you did like a contentment meter, right? You know, bear with me here. And, you know, one would be like way dissatisfied and way discontent in your life. And 10 would be like brimming with, with contentment. Where, where, would, where would you be? Right now, currently, where would you be? How content are you? Are you more like a, a ball in a pinball machine where you're just bouncing all over the place? You're here for a minute, then you're over there, then you're over here, then you're over there. And it may not even be your physical body, it might be your mind. Paul is coming to us and saying, look, contentment is possible because it's not found inside of you. It's actually found outside of you in relationship to Jesus. He is truly enough. First word, contentment. The second word here is profit. Not profit as like a speaker, but profit as in, as in gain. I mean, look what he does here. So remember, like, he thanks them, appreciate the gift, but I really didn't need it because I've learned how to be content. And just in case it, they don't think he's appreciative of the gift, he kind of picks it up again and says, hey, thank you for the gift. Look what he starts and saying in verse 14. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving, receiving, except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my, you know, for my needs several times. And so he's just reminding them of this story that's been going on with this church and Paul that, that you know, this church is over and over and over sent generously gifts of financial you know, blessing to Paul to help him in his ministry as well as when he was in prison. And one of those is this big one that he got from Epaphroditus. And so that we kind of have a, a proper picture of um, the state of you know, the church in Philippi as far as their finances go and where they were as a church. I mean, Paul speaks about this church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look what he says here. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia, which is the church in Philippi. That's who he's talking about, part of one of them, not the only one, but one of them. Verse two, during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty did what? It overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. I could testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege, privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. And so, so then we got a right framework of the financial situation and the crisis that the church in Philippi was doing. It wasn't like they, they gave out of their plenty. It wasn't like, well, you know, we got uh, the big donor over here, Georgie or Sue or whatever, they've been giving a lot to us and we've got plenty to give. Let's just, 
you know, get some to Paul's way. I think he's suffering over in prison. No, it's out of their poverty. They're, I mean, did you see that in verse 2? Severe trial brought about affliction, abundant joy, and their what? Extreme poverty overflowed in wealth of generosity. So the, the formula that this church in Philippi operated from, which is so like abnormal for us, went like this. Affliction plus poverty equaled what? Abounding in generosity. For me, affliction plus poverty, hold back, <laughs> right? Abound in savings because we don't have a clue where things are gonna go. But that's not at all what happened with this church that in fact, in the midst of their poverty, what would have made sense is for them to hold back. Let's see what goes on. Let's not give away. But what they did through the power of the Spirit of God, they gave and they gave generously. So much so, it blew away, Paul, how generous this church was in the midst of their own poverty. And the reason why, and we need to remind of this, is because the church understood that they live in a story where the main character is a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who owns everything and he's extremely generous. They don't live in a story of scarcity. Well, we gotta hold back. No, you live in a story of abundance because you got a father who owns everything. And he's not a hoarder. He's really generous. So it makes sense, spiritually speaking, that in the midst of poverty and financial crisis, that Philippi would then give and give generously because they got a God who will meet their needs. And I don't have to hold back so I can meet my own needs. Are you following me? So that's the context here. And then look what he says here as he goes on. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. And then here's our word, verse 17, not that I seek the gift. <laughs> Which, it, once again, feels like, thank you, but not that I'm seeking the gift. But look what he says, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. So catch what Paul is saying. Paul is thankful for the gift, not for what it does for him, but what that gift is doing for them. Are you following me? Like Paul is saying, thank you for the gift not for what it does for me, but actually what the gift is doing for you. So Paul is saying, your giving is not really about what it gives me, but actually what it's doing for you. Like it's not about the needs that it's meeting in my life, it's actually about the needs that it's meeting in your life. And so Paul in essence is saying this, look, look, you don't lose from generosity. I'll say it again so I can get one amen. Like you don't lose when you are generous, when you give. Paul is saying you gain, you have profit, you gain and profit from your generosity. And I know this is extremely counterintuitive to us, but it's God's way and it always has been God's way. God, listen to me, does not command you to be generous because God needs it. <laughs> what does he need? Nothing. I mean, he owns everything. He commands you and me to be generous and to give because we need it. There's something that is going on in us when I'm generous with what I give. And Paul is, that's what he's trying to say. Look, 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 yeah, thank you for the gift. 
But in fact, what's happening, it's not necessarily meeting a need for me. It's actually meeting a need for you. I mean, I don't know what your financial situation is, and I don't know how month and month it goes for you, but for some reason, I don't know why, but the month of July for the jury home and finances was rough. <laughs> there was more going out than what was coming in. And I, I, I don't know why. It was just really a strange month. I got, found out that I got a leaky faucet up in my shower upstairs and my water bill doubled. It's like, got to get that fixed. And no, a leaky faucet would cause your water bill to double in like a stinking month. Got to get that fixed. And I don't know. It was just an odd month for us. I don't know if you guys have had those where you're like, what in the world? We didn't do anything different. <laughs> I'm saying like, Nobody's eating more. I mean, maybe they are. You know, our boys are always growing. Maybe they're just eating double in July. I don't know. But it was just a really, really strange month for us. And so, you know, one of the, the convictions and the habits that we try to live in our family by the grace of God is that we give first. So the first of the month, I, I write our tithe check. I'm still kind of old-fashioned. I don't do it online. I, I bring in here and put in the offering plate, or now we're not doing baskets anymore right now put in the box or whatever. And so the first Sunday of this month, I was out of town, I was on vacation. So I, I went to church, but I didn't give to them. I want to support here, amen. Um, love the church, great, but I'm not giving financially to them. I'm giving to our church. Okay, um, I, I guess that's not very funny. So I thought it was kind of humorous, maybe not. Anytime we talk about giving, we're freaking out. Second Sunday, I was here, forgot it, left it at home. Third Sunday. It was like, well, this is when you start feeling the pinch, right? We're in the middle of the month. I know what else I've got coming as far as bills. I, we got to eat, right? You know, he, he says, sorry, guys. Tough it up, you know? So I bring it to third Sunday. I mean, I should just hold on to this just to kind of be safe. Just kind of make sure we get to the end of the month. Fourth Sunday came, which was last week. And the first thing I did is walked in here and put it in the box. What real faith is growing in my life if the only time I give is when I feel like it's going to be okay? Look, I wrestle with the same struggles and doubts that you do. Will he provide? Will he get? Like, how are we going to make it? But what real trust is growing in me if the only time I give is when I know we're going to be okay? And then the next day, I went to the mailbox, and guess what was in the mailbox? Bills. <laughs> you want the nice little bow on top, and then there was a check, right? Nope. I don't give because I want, I got some kind of genie. No, that's not how this works. 
I mean, he's been extremely generous to me in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. Period. And I want to grow in trusting him, putting my faith in him, and not what I see on my, my balance sheet and my bank statement. So I give. Yeah, in one sense, this church needs it, but that's not why I really give. I, I give because I need it. That's what Paul's trying to say. Like, man, you profit. This is not a loss for you. I mean, it may look like it on your ledger seat, but it's not. You gain. You gain. This past fiscal year, um, July 2019 to July 2020, was a really, really hard year for us as a church financially. Really hard. I mean, it's probably the lowest giving year that we've had in maybe four years, if I'm remembering correctly. We were $110,000 short of our target budget. We had to make $60,000 in cuts in spending. And still, to get to the books to zero, we had to take $40,000 out of savings. That was tough. You ask why? I don't know, honestly. We, we did a lot of work trying to figure out what was going on. Pre-COVID, we were growing. It wasn't like there was this mass exodus. Um, didn't have a lot of families that were leaving at all. It was just a, a really strange year. And so I can't ask why. All I can do is, okay, that year is done. There's some things we learned over the course of that year of what I want to do differently and how I want to grow in this area and how I want to grow us in this area. And we started this new year in a lot of uncertainty, haven't we? I mean, look, look, right now, this is not normal. This is not. And like, unless you think this is going to be like a blizzard, you think I'm, we're just kind of hanging on. It'll be done in about a week. It's not. This is going to be kind of like a winter. We're in this for a few months. And there's a ton of uncertainty financially, culturally, man, a ton of uncertainty. And so as best we can, by God's grace, our financial team said, okay, we want to take that into consideration and build a budget here that seems somewhat conservative, which it is. It's a big cut from last year's budget. And at the same time, it's a stretch. And there are some sacrifices that we've made as a church. We're not hiring our associate pastor position back for at least the first half of the year. I mean, that's, that's a needed position here. It really is. In life, our church. But it would not be good stewardship of us as, a, as an elder body and a staff team to do that right now. And so we've spread out that responsibilities between our staff and elders, and they've done a phenomenal job of taking that on. But that's just part of what we got to do. And so I don't know what this year holds. You don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty here. I'm asking you, as Paul is saying, we don't wait till we know that things are going to be okay before we start giving generously. No, it's even in the midst of uncertainty that we can, as children of God, begin to experience his faithfulness to us when we give, when it doesn't make sense. 
When humanly speaking, it may feel like we shouldn't do this. No, spiritually speaking, no, we should because I need to. This isn't about the church. This isn't about making sure God gets his stuff. No, I need it. You need it. There's something that happens in us when we are this way with our stuff. So I'm asking, I'm praying that God would continue to do his work here as he has done and that we would continue to learn to trust him and that that would be evidence through our giving and our generosity. So if you want to be done with your stuff having control over you, then give. If you want to be done with this worry of whether you're going to make it month to month, then Give. If you want your trust in God to deepen and you want kind of an anchor for your soul in uncertain times, then listen to me. Give. If you want to have contentment, no matter what the circumstances are, don't miss the connection here because this is not, you know, coincidental. Give. If I... If I want to be content no matter what's going on in my world, Paul's saying part of the way you learn to do that is you say it out loud, you, you give. How can I be certain that God will meet my needs as it says in verse 19? You give. And then when you see God come through week in, week out, month in and month out, it deepens trust right here. You profit from your generosity. It does something in you. It's not just about meeting a specific need here or with God, so to speak. No, it's about a need that needs to be met in you. That's why we give. Contentment, profit. Contentment, gain. Let's pray together. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.